You're listening to Pull the Thread Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Douglas. I'm a celebrity tailor, a creative entrepreneur, and a wild Mustang tamer. I took a brother home sewing machine. I put it on a $30 Craigslist desk and eventually built a six-figure sewing business that supports a life I love while generating hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue each year. Now, it's hard for me even to wrap my head around those numbers, and it definitely didn't come easy. But if there's anything that I love doing, it's helping others shorten their learning curve. I'm sharing what I've learned about entrepreneurship and business building as it applies to craft-based work and opening up about what I wish I knew when I first started. I'm sharing every tool, trick, and business process I've learned from costuming celebrities, manufacturing clothing, and selling products so that you can stop questioning your skills and start profiting from your work. So you ready? Let's go. Welcome back to Pull of the Thread Podcast. You are listening to episode six. So I'm going to teach you how to build your own supply chain. But of course, it would not be Pull the Thread if uh, we did not pull the thread on a story from the top. So here we go. The story that I have PTSD over still. Have you ever predicted that something bad was going to happen? And your gut was screaming about it. And then not long after ignoring the feeling, all hell broke loose. And you were right. And when you were right, it didn't matter because you had to be the one to fix everything. (laughs) That's what happened to me at the height of stay-at-home orders last year. So times were super uncertain. This was, say, three months after we quadrupled our overhead and signed the lease um, on the big space. And um, I was not necessarily vetting clients anymore. I was just opening the door and letting them walk on in whether they were ideal or not. And to be perfectly honest with you, I am going to do a separate episode all about um, attracting and repelling clients um, because we attract in our dream clients and then we repel the ones that just are not a good fit for us. And thank God we do that these days and we love our clients. But back then things were super uncertain um, and I was saying yes to projects that we probably should not have been saying yes to um, in the moment. Um, So anyways, back then, I had accepted a project from a client who was not an ideal fit, um, and now she was new, but she invented a product for a specific industry that desperately needed the product, and they would pay any amount of money for this product, okay? Had she prepared her supply chain right and positioned her brand better, to be perfectly honest, like she was overselling product that she had no way that she could have made. Um, this product could easily have brought in six figures within the month. Yeah, that's insane. Because think about this. When you're doing a handmade product, you can only turn as much product as you can physically create, right? So to be able to do six figures in revenue in just over a month of time means that you have to have a very quickly turned product at an extremely high price point, like to the moon, right? But that's not what happened. With the way the world spins these days, I had advised her above all to master her supply chain before launching. Things were super uncertain, like I said, during um, the height of stay at home. And so shipping costs were up. Um, Everyone and their sister was buying fabric and elastic and stuff because everybody was making masks. So basic things were hard to come by. Let's say, you know, 100% black cotton of a certain width and weight. Anyways. She smiled and nodded and, of course, proceeded to not do that at all. 
my anxiety is peaking just now, like reliving this decision. So like a train wreck, I knew what was about to happen and I couldn't look away. We were already in contract, marching to our own doom and knowing what was about to happen. So a week later, her pre-orders were through the roof because let's remember, she put no cap on how much product she could sell, even though she knew how much she could create. And sure enough, she could not source the fabric similar enough to the one that we started the project with. Her original distributor had no plans to restock the exact same material, and she had to find something else. Manufacturing had completely halted overseas, so in order to get the materials, um, I mean, you're looking at backstock, and these different manufacturers um, sell to different retailers, and these different retailers only carry so much of it. And there's no way that these retailers are going to tell you who the manufacturers are so that you can find out who else is selling the exact same material. Now, our sweet client had to quickly learn that not all cotton is created equal. The inconsistencies were obvious to her customers, and when she substituted an inferior fabric, they put her through literal hell. Over the years of selling handmade products and services, I have seen this more times than I like to admit. And the truth is most people genuinely don't understand the importance of a bomb-proof supply chain until they get burned by theirs. Everything that will or could ever go wrong in getting your clients their product comes down to not building a scalable supply chain. From sourcing your fabrics in bulk to finding a tag supplier, to knowing who sells the right notions, to finding the right manufacturer who can complete the job at scale, you have got to lock it down. Now what sucks is this client got so hell-bent on beating others to market that she skipped all of the steps that would ensure she stay on the market. But just because you can sell a product doesn't mean that you can create it. The way that I see it and the way that I teach my students um, is that you have no business supplying your customers with a product that you can't guarantee them more of. I teach mastering supply chain means taking control of six different areas. So here we go. Number one, the first thing, the most important thing that you're going to lock down in terms of creating a clothing line or building out a product-based business is to lock in your material. What is it? Where is it coming from? Who would you buy from if that distributor stopped selling it? That's where you start. I ask every fabric wholesaler or retailer um, a couple questions before I buy fabric from them for our clients. Um, so the first question is, does the distributor always keep it in stock? How much do they keep it stock? And then I always ask them how quickly do they ship? Um, does it take longer if they're shipping more material? And then how often do they restock? Because what if I buy all of it? Or what if somebody else buys all of it? Or what if a pandemic happens tomorrow and black cotton happens to be the fabric of choice? <laughs> Um, and then I always ask, is there a minimum order quantity? When you're buying wholesale, there usually is, whereas retail, not really. Um, but some retailers tend to only order, or I'm sorry, they only sell fabrics in like half a yard or whole yard increments. 
And then another question is going to be what's the actual textile content because you're going to need that information for when you order tags. Um, and when they tell you the textile content, they should also tell you the care instructions for the fabric because um, that's got to go on the tag too. So if you have that information, then let's say you are um, trying to pre-sell a product, you're going to know exactly how much product you're going to be able to yield from the amount of fabric that that distributor sells. So that way you don't overlist the amount of product that you're going to sell um, or you know just about how long it's going to take you to restock between restocking materials for your manufacturer and then giving your manufacturer the lead time to fulfill that order. So that's material. That's number one of the supply chain. Number two is going to be hired help or a manufacturing vendor. It depends. So let's say you are a small like mom and pop or you are just like a solo person and you are creating a product and you need to hire help. Hiring help is going to be step two after you've guaranteed your supply. Um, so I'm going to ask um, any manufacturing vendor or somebody that I'm going to hire or, and delegate the work to, what is the turnaround for this amount of items? Let's say I want you to make 20 pieces. Let's say I might want you to make 2,000 pieces. What's the turnaround? Should everything go right? What's the turnaround? Should everything go wrong? What are we looking at? Machines break, equipment breaks, places flood. We had a sinkhole out front and a blizzard within like a month. <laughs> Same time. Um, this continues on the theme of Gotham that Nashville's been experiencing this year. Anyways, um, so what's the turnaround? What happens if I order more? What's the turnaround? Because sometimes ordering more is going to take even more time. It's not going to get faster should you order more items. If it's sequins, it's going to cost you more if you order more product than if you ordered uh, than if, than if you ordered more to be charged less per unit. Um, it just depends on what's being made. How much is it going to cost? Um, and you have to lock in that price up front with the with the vendor or the hired help. How much time in advance do I need to get my order in in order for it to show up on X date? Because let's say they commit to a two-week turnaround, but then you were two weeks in getting it dropped off, and now they've already ridden into their next manufacturing run, or um, they've already accepted work elsewhere, and now they're booked for a month. They can't guarantee that two-week turnaround anymore. What happens if you issue a change order mid-run? Like, um, for instance, we did an order not long ago where the installation of the waistband changed after we had already started installing waistbands. Um, so technically it stacked a lot of time onto the production run. What are the setup fees? There could be pattern printing fees. There could be um, just basic setup fees for being within, uh, within the manufacturer. For instance, you know, it takes my cutter two full days just to cut out patterns that um, designers ship to us or that they have us print out. Um, you know, we, we can't do that for free. <laughs> uh, is there a discount for ordering more or less product? Like I said before, some product gets more expensive the more that you order, and then some product gets less expensive because of batching. So what sort of guarantees are they, or are they willing to include within their service? Some manufacturers and some vendors will uh, include a guarantee, and then others will not. Um, it just depends on the nature of the deal. Third thing on the list in your supply chain is notions. Order your notions. That's going to be thread, fasteners, zippers, snaps, decorative haberdashery in bulk up front, and then return what goes unused. So that way you're not stuck 
paying inflated local prices. And find an oceans provider with unlimited stock. Now, one thing that I want to note here is that if you are uh, if you are getting hired help, then you're going to cover all of these things yourself. If you're going to have somebody like come in and complete product with you, um, if you are hiring a manufacturer, oftentimes those manufacturers will cover the cost of one notion, um, like thread, because they want to be very very specific of what kind of thread runs through their machines. I know personally that's what I do because I don't want to use anybody else's thread. Um, but fastener, zips, uh, snaps, all of that stuff is usually up to the discretion of the client um, or the designer. Um, and then a really good rule of thumb is you sew for the first week or for the first 20% of the order, um, whatever takes you like the least amount of time to get a good estimate of how much thread you're going to use or how much notions you're going to use if it wasn't something that you could truly calculate. And that way you can go ahead and run some numbers and you can return whatever's going to go unused within your return window. And that way you'll get a little bit of money back and save, save a little bit of cash on your work. Number four, fabric tags. Fabric tags are the tag inside of your clothing and it's required by law. So any item that touches the skin is required by law to have a tag sewn into it, whether it is a pillowcase, a jacket, a shirt, pants, anything. It must display the country of origin, the textile content, and care instructions. Now listen, there's a caveat here to this, okay? When it says country of origin, that tag has to say what country the fabric was made in, not the garment, the fabric, okay? So just because you had your garment made in USA does not mean that you get to remove the tag that says made in Bangladesh because if that fabric was made in Bangladesh, it has to say it on the tag. The reason being because there are people out there that have different allergies to different dyes and they have it down to a science. So like some people are allergic to dyes, anything from China that's like pigment dyed, right? So they need to know what's on that tag or you could, you could really get somebody hurt. So that tag needs to say the country of origin, where the fabric was made, um, the care instructions, and then the textile content, which you will get from the material provider that you locked in in step one. You're going to want to go ahead and secure your fabric tag supplier for the long haul. Now a separate tag is not going to be related to the textile content or the care instructions. That's going to be your branded tag. So I truly advise people to order this tag separate. The reason being is because your branded tag is going to have your brand name and logo on it and most likely like a size tag unless you want to separate that out to be one that's separate. Um, just remember that if you want your size tag to be separate um, from both the, the fabric tag and then also the brand tag, you are now installing three different tags in one garment. Um, so just remember that's all added cost, okay? So the reason why I would do it this way is because I've just, I've, I've seen it done every way, but if you buy a branded tag that also has the fabric content and care instructions on it, but then you only end up running like a hundred of that item, but you had to order 500 tags. You've literally made 400 of those tags completely useless when the next garment that you create is a pant and not a coat and the fabric contents are totally separate. So I would do a bulk order of your branded tag. That's usually like an end fold tag or a loop tag. Um, do a bulk order for that. 
and that way you have your brand's logo on that and then sizes. Um, and then I would do your care instructions tag with the uh, fabric content and the country of origin. That to be a completely separate tag that just gets sewn into a side seam or onto a pocket. By having all of these tags up front, you can send them straight to your manufacturer from the creator of the tag and have them installed as the product is sewn, which will absolutely save you money. So, yay. Number five, hang tags. These are the cardboard or the cardstock tag that is hanging off the garment that's been attached with a tag gun. Hang tags will say the brand name, the pricing, the SKU numbers, and sometimes even barcodes. These little guys sure do elevate a handmade product in the home stretch, and you'll need them as you grow should the product end up in a brick and mortar retail environment. Number six, packaging and shipping materials. Go ahead and order these in bulk to save on expenses, and that way you can pass those costs and savings on to your customer. These products include like boxes, bubble mailers, uh, tissue paper, stickers. Surprise and delight your customers by giving them the full experience as they unwrap their order. But I would also caution you not to go overboard on wrapping. Um, go ahead and order all of this stuff in bulk because, man, it adds up. It's crazy how much it can cost you just to wrap and sticker an item with a size sticker on it. Uh, I would also, I mean, just within number six, because this fits really well here, I would really recommend that you check out ShipStation.com. It is the bomb for mailing. I'm not an affiliate. I just really have been loving them lately. It's super organized. They price compare different, uh, like different shippers for you so that you get the best deal in your shipping. The truth is, if you have all six of these steps covered, you're in for a great production run or, or small batch, Etsy product, fashion line, etc., Consistency is everything in selling handmade work. Make sure that you've got these six facets of your supply chain running smoothly, and that'll ensure your consistency and your sanity will stay in check and keep your customers happy. My team and I recently went to New York for TexWorld. It's the largest wholesale fabric sourcing event in North America, and we just got back, so it's kind of fresh on my mind, so I wanted to share about it here because we sat in on seminars about sustainable sourcing and how to get fabric globally during a pandemic when manufacturing still isn't reliable and what to expect as we move forward in a time that still feels very uncertain. My takeaways are this. So my most interesting seminar that I sat in on was a South American supply chain. And so we got to hear industry leaders in the manufacturing space and in the wholesale fabric sourcing space um, across South America and to just sort of see what they were seeing and see things through their eyes. And I think what we're going to see ourselves doing is relying on South America far more for our textile and garment manufacturing as we move forward. The reason being is because South America is not an ocean away. Um, and I'm sort of drawing on a lot of experience that I have in working in entertainment to um, sort of back this thought up. Um, see, I was also in a conversation several weeks ago with a touring friend who said that um, coincidentally, like with all entertainment coming back on and festivals coming back in full, 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 full force, because I also just got back from um, a music festival in Chicago yesterday um, called Lollapalooza. Um, things are definitely in full force. 
Um, and yet we're still in such an uncertain time with COVID. And so we noticed that uh, all of the staging companies were scrambling to try to create enough trust and staging equipment just to be able to put on all of these shows and these tours and these music festivals at the same time. Because before the pandemic, all of these festivals were spaced out by a minimum of like three weeks to a month. Um, so all of the trust and the staging and the audio and the lighting rigs could be reused across the board. But now we are seeing uh, cargo containers completely stacked. And he said that it was a two to four week wait just to get a shipping container in Asia um, in order to pack it to get it on a ship. And then the wait to get it on a ship could be as much as three weeks. And then as soon as that ship took off um, bound for America, it, it would be in a 40-ship deep line off the West Coast just to get a space to port. So here you have it, like a month and a half to two-month wait just to get something shipped from, say, Japan or from China or um, even from from Bangladesh after the cyclone that hit last year. Um, all of these different steps are involved in just getting a product to us in America, much less, let's say that product has to get manufactured. And let's remember um, China, Vietnam, Bangladesh, uh, all of these countries, their, their citizens don't even have full access to vaccines yet. So manufacturing is not back yet in other countries that were predominantly manufacturer centric. So this is just this huge, perfect storm cluster of trying to get product, trying to get materials, notions, fabrics, all of these things made in, in APAC. Um, <laughs> there's just no way. And then in addition to that, having a two month wait just to get it on US soil. So with all that being said, this perfect storm has left American based companies moving to South America to move their production, their manufacturing, or just even their wholesale fabric sourcing. Um, it's really interesting. It's really interesting for me to watch this from a bird's eye view um, as a manufacturer, as a business owner, um, as someone that also relies on mass manufacturers because we get orders that there's no way that we can fill them, um, that we have to delegate out to manufacturers as well. Um, and then just sort of looking forward as a company that's trying to grow and accept more types of projects, um, even like, let's say in the sustainable sourcing vein, uh, you know, there, there are certain companies that have made leaps and bounds in manufacturing knitwear, which is, um, I mean, historically it's not sustainable, it has plastic in it. If it stretches, it has plastic in it. Um, so all of these conversations are being had at the table at Tech's World. It was super, super interesting. I firmly believe that, um, designers, that incubators, that manufacturers, that fabric sourcing consultants, everyone is going to start relying more on South American textiles um, and South American wholesalers for, um, for manufacturing and for fabric, uh, fabric sourcing. Um, I also think that we are going to see a radical accountability take place in the world of sustainable and ethic clothing, clothing design. Um, I think greenwashing has hit its peak and everyone has become a little bit wiser because for the last, I would say, two or three years, I have noticed radical greenwashing of just being like, this is a sustainable product. This is an ethical product. Um, and meanwhile, it's coming from the same factories in Bangladesh that like, have rebuilt after burning to the ground two years ago for 
not having good work conditions and having, you know, bootlegged electrical because they're, you know, they've got a thousand machines in a building that was never built for manufacturing. So you've got building collapses and women and babies are dying and it's just, it's, it's a terrible situation. So, um, all of those companies that have sort of, you know, printed a little leaf on their tag, but no one has truly, you know, done the deep dive on it. Um, they're sort of becoming highly scrutinized, I guess. I think that, um, I think that for better, uh, this this movement this this movement of wanting to really hold officials and brands and businesses accountable for the decisions that they're making behind closed doors, um, I'm I'm happy to see that um, as a company that is spearheading the charge the ways that we can. Um, I'm really really excited to see that and to see that play out in a seminar based situation where all of those companies are sitting in the hot seat and they're answering those questions and um, some of them sort of trip all over themselves and then others, uh, have answers. Uh, and I'm really, really excited to be able to partner with the companies that do have answers and do more business with them, um, and honor that with our business. Um, I know personally, one of the steps that we have taken forward as we moved into small batch manufacturing is the concentration on becoming a zero waste company, a zero waste in terms of our fabric. So, um, we throw nothing in the landfill. Uh, and that's not even something that we like advertise on the site because we don't want to be one of those companies that looks like we're just greenwashing things. We don't have to brag about that because that is our expectation. Um, so as someone who that is my expectation is to put zero fabric in the landfill, either to reuse it or um, recycle it and send it to a fabric recycler. Um, I feel like with that being the expectation, it should not be the marketing point. It shouldn't be an advertising standpoint. Um, and so it was really exciting to be able to connect with other companies um, and other just individuals in the space who are passionate about what we do and passionate about what they do um, and sort of share that um, expectation with one another and hold each other accountable and, and share ideas that we all had across the board. Um, so, so yeah, uh, another takeaway that I had from Tech's World and um, just supply chain management um, is that I think that we're going to see more American-based designers and fashion incubators and manufacturers take control of their own supply chains and become a lot more vertically integrated. Um, over the last year on the blog, which is just, it's crystaldouglas.com. So my name spelled out, uh, Crystal with a K, crystaldouglas.com. Yeah, I said, mark my words, we're going to see a massive return to American-made goods because overseas manufacturing and shipping prices were about to go up like crazy. Um, and between that and the communication barrier, here we go. It's about to pop off, um, which is why as a company, we even started doing manufacturing in the first place. So over the last few months, we've tried to become more vertically integrated in terms of sourcing our own fabrics and um, doing away with our own waste in terms that were more um, sustainable uh, and and trying to create ways where we can have our clients recycle each other's fabric and reuse each other's fabric uh, that goes unused. Um, yeah, I think, I think... The one thing, though, that nearly every designer client had in common was that they didn't know how to build their own supply chain before they came to us and have their garment manufactured. Now, if I had allowed a client to move forward through that manufacturing process before cross-checking that they had everything down to a science and a bill of materials to match, then we'd get an outcome like the horrific dumpster fire story that I shared with you earlier. Um, but... That's why, you know, that's why I said that everything that could ever go wrong in getting your customers their product comes down to not building a scalable supply chain. So 
if you follow those six steps um, and you know you you really really double down on organizing every single step and create backups for your backups um, you're gonna be fine <laughs> we're constantly looking ahead and we're constantly looking at ways to make that supply chain more integrated um, and you know I'll be sharing the tips and the tricks that I learn along the way just from doing it we make a ton of mistakes as we go but we definitely learn ways not to uh, not to make a light bulb let's say <laughs> Um, and then I think one final point that I have in creating that that vertically integrated uh, supply chain as we are definitely nearing the 30-minute mark on this episode um, is what I've seen as a manufacturer recently in terms of fast fashion. So as you go back to securing your manufacturer or securing your hired help um, and touching on sustainable fashion is if you're committed to good quality and you're committed to slow fashion, um, you can't turn around and want something tomorrow. Uh, so at the moment, you're seeing a two to four week lead time in getting fabric wholesale from a manufacturer um, and that manufacturer getting it to the wholesaler, that wholesaler getting it to the retailer um, or the wholesaler getting it to your fabric sourcer. Um, that's all before your your manufacturer or your hired help even gets to lay their hands on it or lay a pattern over it or a marker over it and then cut it and then deck it for it to be sewn and finished and quality checked. Um, so my, my, my true final point that I want to leave you with, if you are a manufacturer or if you are a, like you're, you know, you're a sister company for us, um, or you're a designer or um, a fashion incubator, is um, take note of timeframes for things and be realistic as we approach this completely unfamiliar territory um, in terms of still walking through COVID. Um, yeah, we have a vaccine in the U.S. Yeah, we have a vaccine in the U.K. I know I have a lot of listeners over there in Europe, and that's so exciting to me. Um, but let's just remember where the main places that that uh, tags and uh, fabrics and notions are all being produced, and that's in countries that do not have access to the vaccine. So while we are very much trying to get back to work, um, unfortunately, those places are not, and they're not able to, and that's devastating. Um but we are not in a place where um, American-made fabrics are a thing. They're just not. It's not. It's not done in a way where where you can afford it and still put a garment out at a price point that is competitive. Um, so, as we shift our supply chains to more South American-based companies, or shift our patients to wait for the Asiatic countries to catch up in manufacturing, um, we really have to dial back what we expect in terms of having product reliably manufactured at a good quality at a good pace. Um, so yeah, that's one of my final points that I wanted to leave you with. Uh, I truly, truly hope that you've gotten something from this. If you have, please go find me on social media. It's Crystal Douglas, just at Crystal Douglas, K-R-Y-S-T-A-L-D-O-U-G-L-A-S, um, or visit the website, same thing, spelled out, dot com. Um, let me know what you thought of the episode. And uh, thank you for tuning in to Pull the Thread. <laughs>